human beings of the world, it's time to enter the spoilerverse through our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with John and Kendrick. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on scpod.net. But if you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcatcher, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us, leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. Join the cult of the Spoilerverse, and welcome back to Spoiler Country. I'm Kenneth Regan. That is Mr. Horsley. And today on the show, well, it's Stephen T. Siegel. Yeah, it is. He was a lot of fun to talk to. He was amazing. I had a ton of fun talking with that guy. Uh, if you don't know who Steven Siegel is, why are you listening to this podcast? No, I'm kidding. Steven Siegel <laughs> is one of the founding members of Mana Action. And who's Mana Action, you say? Well, Mana Action is the production company that created Ben 10, created Big Hero and, 6. Yeah. Did I say did I say something wrong? No, I was I was going to say Big Hero 6, but you said it for, oh. for me. So, What else did they do, Johnny? Did I take all oh, the they thunder? did so much stuff. They did Generator Rex. They did um, a bunch of other cartoon stuff for for people. They've you know uh, they've all worked for Marvel and DC here and there. I mean, they did a bunch of stuff. Steven Siegel himself was a writer for X Men for a while. Um, he also uh, recently put out a book called Get Naked about the odd places to get naked in his life, and just a ton, a ton of creative stuff. And was a whole ton of fun to talk to. Yeah, my favorite part of this interview that you guys are going to hear. I'm just going to spoil it now because it's it's just. It was just it's kind of funny. Country. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. Was nominated. He was on projects or himself <laughs> nominated 10 times for an Eisner Award. <laughs> Big fat zero. Right, right. Which nominated is, against Watchmen. Yeah, yeah. Well, the first one was against Watchmen, which is amazing yeah. because that was his first comic he ever put out. Yeah. That yeah. he ever wrote. It's like, what? You just write a comic and but, you get nominated for an Eisner? Get the hell out of here. <laughs> Well, you, you think about it from a, from, a, from the long game point, right? Who's the better writer? The guy who gets nominated and wins once or the guy who gets nominated 10 times, right? That means 10 things he did were good enough to be nominated, not just one. See? Positive thinking. Dude, positive thinking is so key <laughs> in life. And I, I honestly believe that. You yeah, can it's be depressed. And I understand that. It's a lot of, for some people, that's a chemical imbalance that can't be stopped. Without right. proper oh, medication sure. and therapy, all that kind of stuff. But for the majority of us going through life, if you choose to think positive and to do positive things and react positive to things, good things come to you. I promise you this. It, it, it definitely can't hurt you to think positive about things and, and help you move through things, yep. move through life, yep. you know. But Steven T. Siegel, this guy, he's just killing it. He's just killing it. Yeah. 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 Let's. Yeah. He, I mean, if you haven't read Get Naked, you should go out and get it because bar the name, if you're afraid of seeing naked things, it's it's a really good book. Yeah, it's yeah. a really fun, entertaining, it's insightful called, look that made not me personally kids. think about thinking truly about myself. 
Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about myself the whole time reading it. It makes you, it does make you look inward, which is awesome. I mean, it made me want to get naked. So, <laughs> well, let's <laughs> listen to Stephen talk about getting naked in his own words. Oh, yeah. All right, guys. Thanks for joining us back. We are honored. We are. This, this is this is awesome to have him on. Uh, one of the founding members of Man of Action Entertainment, which began way back in 2000. Uh, just a group of, of four guys having front being good friends, uh, working on X-Men, working on Superman, decided, you know what? We could do this ourselves. Do it better. Do it. Do it bigger. And they did. And they've come out with Ben 10, which you know all about. Big Hero 6, which you know all about. And today we have Stephen T. Siegel. Stephen, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. That was such a good intro. I don't know that we need to do anything else. Do we? <laughs> and done. Scene. And done. Scene. That's awesome. So I what is going on? My, my giant cat, Baxter, who's laying next to me and quite possibly will have something to say. Who knows? Perfect. Well... Baxter can always join us. Do we need to get him a microphone? <laughs> right. Mic him up. He's, he's mouthy. He's right. <laughs> so what's going on in, in, in Siegel's world? Siegel's world is the man of action world. We're, you know, it's me, Joe Kelly, Joe Casey, Duncan Rulo. Uh, and we're, we're kind of inseparable, whether we like it or not. It's our 20th anniversary year of forming this crazy company and doing a bunch of comic books and cartoons. So my, a lot of my time is taken up right now with a new Cartoon Network show called Power Players. Uh, and that's also going to be finding its way to Netflix soon. So that's exciting. That's awesome. And then uh, just the comics. I got Get Naked came out two years ago on Valentine's Day. So it just had a birthday, got nominated for some Eisners and a Ringo, lost all of them because that's how I do awards. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, Camp Midnight, Camp Midnight 2, the follow-up to Camp Midnight 1, uh, came out this year. So that's been my comics of the past 24-7. That's all. Yeah, you have been nominated for the Eisner seven times. I think it's actually 10, uh, seven, maybe seven under my name, but 10 for things I'm honoring. Lost all of them, every single one of them. <laughs> <laughs> so you get nominated, you're like, yes, no. <laughs> well, I'm so used to it now. Like, yeah. I, I get it now. Like, when they say it's an honor to be nominated, I have learned that that better be it because that's as far as it's going for me. Right. <laughs> well, Nomination and out the door. Free dinner at the uh, fabulous Comic-Con International, and that's it. Hey, free dinner's not nothing, though. I, I go. I get my dinner. I applaud <laughs> for the people who beat me. That's awesome. Well, just to be – and it is cool to be nominated. I mean, that, that does show that you're writing in a different league than everybody else, especially if you've been nominated 10 times. That's kind of crazy. You know What I like is I've been nominated for – like my first book, Kafka, uh, came out you know, in 87 or something, I'm really old. Yeah. Uh, and it was nominated for best limited series, but it lost to Watchmen. You can't really be <laughs> mad that you lose to Watchmen in that category. Can right. you? Uh, but I've nominated in that. I've been nominated best writer, best limited series, best story arc, best single issue. Uh, Get naked was best humor publication. So I'm, I'm all over the place in terms of categories. So, you know, that, that to me is pretty cool. I'm reading Get Naked right now. And yeah. I've gotten through get naked in Colorado, get naked in Tokyo, get naked in Australia. Yeah. 
And I got to tell you, man. Are you are you naked? Are you naked right now? Has the book had an impact? <laughs> I'm not naked right now, but uh, let me it's go outside, get Take the people around. Off. But you know what? It's hit every phobia I've had growing up. Oh, same, same. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, oh my god, I, I felt this way. I and like I had no idea that you men ha- or boys swam naked in public schools. Is that not outrageous? That's totally uh, outrageous. Certainly not all of them, but a lot of them. And a lot of gyms and YMCAs and stuff, it was just the policy. There was like this feeling that uh, suits would clog up the filters and old swimming pools didn't have good filters. It was also, you know, women and girls didn't used to have gym class. They didn't used to have swim class in school. Yeah. Uh, and boys were going to go off to war. And you were going to be naked in war. You are going to be naked in the military if you did military service. And it just wasn't a thing. There was also kind of a, a ruralism about skinny dipping and swimming in the river. And uh, you don't have a suit with you because why would you? And there was just a lot of nudity. Yeah. Uh, and then by the time I heard about that, I'm old enough that in the 70s, I heard, oh, you're naked when you're in swim class. And I assume they meant the showers, which when I by the time I got there, that's what it was. It was the showers. Yeah. Uh, and now people aren't even naked in the showers. I swim every day. Uh, and, you know, people do these weird sambas with a towel wrapped around them and they're like changing their clothes under a caftan and you know it's uh <laughs> really in the, in the I just started, yeah i started thinking about that and i was like oh, that's kind of weird when did we get that way like i'm not a naked guy well yeah. i wrote a book about how all the places i've gotten naked but <laughs> it's weird to me that it turned into that you know like what in america super we're wild america made us that way because when i traveled i found out that the rest of the world not so much like that Right. So that's why it's travel essays about places where I was like, wait, we have to get naked right now? And everybody's like, yeah, why wouldn't you? And then when you do it, you go, oh, this isn't a thing. This is nothing. Right. Uh, so I decided to do some funny stories about the places. I took it all off. Yeah, so funny. Yeah. I mean, when you're talking about high school, I totally felt that way. I was self-conscious about my body. I didn't know how people were even thinking of me. You know what I mean? I tried not to think of what anybody else was doing. And, and really, if you think back, they're all thinking the same thing as, as I was, you know? Oh, absolutely. And I, I'm i uh, recording all of those stories now for a podcast of it, speaking of podcasts. Nice. Naked. nice. And last night, I recorded uh, Get Naked in Seoul, South Korea, which is one of the first places I kind of got naked in a public kind of way. Yeah. At the, they have these Korean spas. And I, I remember I was like, I don't think I can take my clothes off right now. There's like a bunch of naked dudes here. Uh, and then I, I was like, well, I have to. Like, that's part of this culture and that's part of what this facility is. And I did. And then I was like, wait a minute. No one is checking me out. Why is no one checking me out? I was Nobody pissed. cares. <laughs> like, I, di- I didn't warrant being checked out. I was afraid that I would be checked out. And then no one did check me out and I was pissed. So <laughs> talk about double standard. Right. I got them. <laughs> you know what's funny is – in Geneva, they just opened up a blowjob cafe. And in Geneva, Switzerland? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You go there and you order your coffee and then they hand you an iPad and then you swipe through the girls that you might like to come and, and, and perform fellatio and then you choose your girl and then they come out and they do their they do the thing while you're drinking your coffee. And that, that you put that – I didn't know they had those in Japan. I was like – this is the first I've heard about it. Uh, it was just back in December. I was like, no way. I didn't think that was even possible anywhere. And then yeah, I see it in your book. I'm like, no way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and let's let's clarify for the listeners of this clearly not a family podcast all of a sudden. Right. <laughs> uh, or, or maybe that kind of family podcast. Right. But uh, 
I've had people who read that essay about Get Naked in Tokyo. Yeah. And they're like, so you went to the blowjob bar. And I want to be clear, I did not go to the blowjob bar. That's right. You say that the in the book. The blowjob bar was discussed. And I was I was fascinated by the idea that there was a blowjob bar. But there's no – I can barely get naked at like a swimming pool changing room. Right. There was no way I was going to the blowjob bar. <laughs> discussed by the Canadian. Yeah. The Canadian loved it. The Canadian, the Canadian had already been to the blowjob bar. I leave him nameless. Uh, or her, probably I should appreciate. say, but I guess probably in this case, Sam. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, he he had already been. Oh, that's hilarious. We could always bleep out the uh, the aforementioned blowjob. <laughs> it's a lot of bleeps, though. You know, it's a it's a thing. Much like the people used to get naked, it's a thing. I'm not I'm not hung up on things that are things. I worked on a comic called Sandman Mystery Theater for a long time for Vertigo. Oh, that's cool. Uh, with Matt Wagner, and Guy. Oh, thanks, Matt Wagner and Guy Davis and a bunch of great people on it. Uh, and it's it's funny because that book looked at current prejudices through a lens of the past. It said, yeah. the, you know, the pre-war era of New York City. And we would get all these letters from people going, no one said the word blowjob in the 30s. No one said the word fuck in the 30s. And I, I would just send them back photocopies of books from the 30s going, here it is in print. How did this get here? Time travelers? Right. <laughs> That's hilarious. You know, it's, it's, it's a thing. It's just a thing. It's just words. It's they will there. not kill you. They will not harm you. That's right. That's right. So 2000, you guys step out, you, Duncan, Joe, and well, the two Joes, the and, Joes. And, and Steve. We call, them, we call them Good Joe, Evil Joe, if that helps. Okay, Good Joe that and does Evil help. Joe. That does help. Thank you. Who is, who's the Evil Joe? You know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to clarify. We're good. You know exactly who it is. He, he knows too, so it's all, it's all good. <laughs> well, as long as he knows, we're good. <laughs> you guys create Man of Action Entertainment. What went th- through your mind to do this? How how scared were you to, to take that leap? Um, we were not because we did not think we were creating some big media company that it turned out to be. Yeah. We and this is this is embarrassing, but it's true. We just wanted a booth at Comic Con in San Diego. Uh oh, we I wanted to sit that. down. It had gotten so big that it seemed like it would be better to sit down and watch it move by you than to have to walk around it again. And so we were like, let's just get a booth. And so Joe Kelly, good Joe, applied for a booth. And they were like, well, you have to have a company and a name. And so he's like, okay, well, our name is Evil Geniuses. And they're like, we've already got one of those, which I don't even know who that was. (laughs) So then we we kicked around a bunch of other names. We're like, okay, well, we're just man of action. So we sat down at this booth and we watched the con go by. And, you know, we'd go buy comics and we'd bring them back and hide them under the table. And this plan was working really well as just a hangout. And then... A guy walked up and he's like, man of action, what does your company do? And we're like, we looked at each other like, company? We ain't got no company. Uh, and we're like, well, we're writers and one of us can draw. And he's like, oh, do you write short films? And we're like, sure, you bet. Even though none <laughs> of us had written a short film. Yeah. And he hired us to write short films. And we wrote him four short films and we got a check. And then we realized we had no way to cash the check because he made it out to man of action. So we had to go open a business account to cash this check. And to open the business account, they were like, you have to have your bylaws and your LLC filing or your corporation statement. We're like, how how are we going to get this money? So we literally set up a company to cash a check. (laughs) Uh, And then the next year, we went back to Comic-Con because we had the booth and we're like, oh, we should never get rid of this. Right. And, you know, somebody came up to us like, do you guys do video games? We're like, sure. Even though none of us had done a video game. And uh, they're like, well, you guys wrote the X-Men, right? We're like, yeah. And they're like, well, we want you to work on. Activision's X-Men Legends game. We're like, okay. So we did that, and they paid Man of Action, and now we had a business bank account and all that stuff. And the third year, Matt Senreich, who had been working at Wizard, came up to us. He was with Robot Chicken, of course. Yeah. Stupid buddy. 
And he's like, hey, man of action guys, I know you guys do the films and the video games and the comics and stuff, but Cartoon Network wants a boys action superhero show. That's not really what we do. It's stupid, buddy. But you guys could pitch that. And we're like, sure. <laughs> so we went over and pitched Cartoon Network 20 different shows, of which one was Ben 10, which they bought. And that kind of, at that point, we were like, okay, maybe we have a company. That thing took off. That was crazy. It was it's everywhere. Still, it's still on. It's the reason our, our company started, and it's still on. We got a bunch of cool specials. We just announced a, a movie, uh, which I'm going to get the name wrong because I'm not late. It was just finalized, but it's like Ben 10 versus the universe or some epic crazy crap like that uh, nice. it's, it's huge it's it's gonna be fun it comes on you know it comes on i'll look it up before this thing ends and give you better details sure yeah ben 10's my i my 13 uh, year old he's a huge ben 10 fan he's had a sweatshirt he wore for like until it wouldn't literally wouldn't fit him anymore nice well then i'm a huge fan of your 13 year old you tell him he's awesome yeah you so and you guys had five sequel series from there two live action made for tv movies i'm reading right off your guys' stuff a multinational game show? What was the game show? The game show? Yeah, there was a game show in Europe. I remember that. I think it was in the UK. It was a couple of, couple of times that's been on. It's called Ben 10 versus the Universe, the movie. I just want to make this really clear. What Steven is just talking about right now is the movie that, that he mentioned earlier for Ben 10. That is the title. The game show is actually called Ben 10 Ultimate Challenge, and it's actually seen across many different countries. You can look it up. There's a Wikipedia page if you're really interested. Oh, nice. going to be on in the fall. I want to see it. Legally, it's called Ben 10 versus the Universe, the movie. For some reason, that the movie has to be on there, I guess. Oh. Must have gone through a bunch I've, of I've marketing. given up on trying to explain that stuff. I just smile and say what it is. Tons of peer <laughs> groups, man. Tons of peer groups. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, there's, a, there's a Ben 10 roller coaster somewhere i think that's in england uh there's a ben 10 water park a cartoon network water park with some kind of ben 10 rides and stuff in uh somewhere in asia where, where does uh, it, yeah, what goes through your head when you think of all these things you guys came up with and now all this crazy stuff is out there in the world we don't spend a lot of time thinking about that exactly yeah. like we do an interview like this it's fun to go hey there's this stuff we're we're a company we're thinking about the next thing we're thinking yeah. about how do we make a new Ben 10 show cool again? How do we make a new seven-year-old fall in love with Ben, you know, after Ben's fans are now 23, 24 years old from the original. So it's great that that stuff's out there and we get like, you know, one fourth of one penny for everything that's out there. So that's exciting. But our job is what's next, not what was. Yeah. Yeah. That's just so nuts though. It is nuts. I do love meeting fans all over the place. Like, Benton is a giant kind of global thing. Yeah. It was always bigger in the rest of the world than the U S and I, I tell this story all the time, but it, it is the moment that freaked me out. If that's what you're asking, which is my wife and I were on vacation, a rare thing for us. And we went on this cruise up uh, in Scandinavia and it was just an overnight kind of ferry cruise. So you had a little uh, hotel room while you travel from one place to another. And I went to the gift shop to see if they had aspirin because I had a massive headache. And the gift shop was like half, candy bars and aspirin and t-shirts and i swear to you the other half of the gift shop was ben 10 merchandise oh, jesus and i was like what is happening right now <laughs> and then i raced back home to make sure that we were getting royalties on stuff from sweden <laughs> <laughs> so St steve how'd you get into comic books what was how did you fall in love with that medium that you wanted to go and and be this writer uh, well, I, I fell in love with writing first. I wrote 
uh, and I just found this in my garage, which is why I know this. This has never, never been revealed publicly, and maybe it shouldn't be revealed publicly. But when I was in third grade, my teacher, Mrs. McKinsey, uh, got me going on writing, and I wrote an autobiography called, embarrassingly, I think, Would You Care for a Frozen Cucumber, uh, which revealed my early Dadaist leanings, even as a third grader, because uh, I would never eat a, a cucumber, let alone a frozen cucumber. And, and then we moved from California to Colorado, which I'd lived there when I was a kid. Uh, my dad was in the Air Force. We moved around a lot. But uh, I, in fourth grade, I had Mrs. Maxwell. And I said, I wrote an autobiography. And she's like, well, you should write a prose novel next. And I was like, I'm going to do that. So I wrote an adventure novel called Escape from Madrid. And I don't know where that is, but I, I want to find it because I bet it's delightful. That's probably uh, me. So I, I liked writing first. Then I moved again. And I had a new best friend named Eric Kopisch. Uh He was a comic book guy. He loved his Spider-Man. Had to walk with him every week to the Safeway grocery store to buy his Spider-Man. So there was still about two years before there were comic shops. And I didn't like comic books. My parents had bought me Avengers 89 when I was a kid, and it scared the crap out of me. Mm-hmm. I was like, don't ever give me these things again. Terrifying. <laughs> it had like Captain Marvel being electrocuted on the cover. I'm like, who does that for kids? Uh, now I love that comic <laughs> But... But it really was walking with Eric, and he was always talking about Spider-Man, and then he started getting into Marvel Team-Up, and then he bought Nova. And I was like, okay, if I'm going to be friends with this guy, i got to buy my own comics. Yeah. So I started buying Uncanny X-Men, Marvel Premiere, Iron Man, because those are the only three books he wasn't buying. Right. Uh, and they drove me crazy. I was like, I don't like comics. But, of course, you're not going to not fall in love with that Claremont Burn X-Men run if you're 12 years old at yep. the time it's coming out. Yep. I loved me Jack of Hearts and torpedo and wood god and all this stuff in marvel premiere and so those became my books i fell in love with them and then as fans do i started trashing them going well this was dumb and this was stupid and this was a i could have written better than this that's that's what we do and how we how we roll as fans it's because we love this stuff right especially when you're Eric, 14. my best friend was like yeah my best friend was like if you can do it do it otherwise i don't want to hear about it right so i took that as a dare and i sent in proposals uh, and one of them got bought and I was like, Oh, I'm in trouble now. Cause I actually don't know anything about how to write a comic. I don't know how to make a comic. I just know how to complain about them. And somehow through another friend, my buddy Dayton Taylor, I was in college by this point. He introduced me to an artist on campus who was Stefano Gaudiano. He drew my first comic Kafka. That comic is the one that got nominated for an Eisner right out of the gate. What? Uh, and I was like, I, yeah, made in my dorm room. That's not going to uh, give you the like, bug. Oh, you write your first comic and it gets nominated for an Eisner. You gotta, you're probably just thinking, well, if I got nominated once, I'm bound to win. Well, then I saw Watchmen. I voted for Watchmen in my own cabin. So that, that did not bode well for a win. Right. And that's, that's, just, that's a tragic story. But I did think, okay, I didn't know anything. I still don't know anything, but I, now I know how to make one of these. And that's, I think it was the process of making that book where I fell in love with the idea of making comics because I was terrified that it would turn out badly. And it's, listen, that thing's got warts. If you look at it, uh, and I've put it out three more times since then, sometimes fixing things, but usually going back and putting it back to the way it was when it had warts. Uh, and you know, I just, I was like, I could spend my life doing this stuff, making stuff up. So that's kind of how that happened. That's a cool way to get there though. You know, uh, you know, most of the time when I ask people that question, it's always, I've, always loved comics since I was a little kid. You know, no one's ever said, well, I didn't really like comics. I had a buddy that liked comics and made me <laughs> want to like comics, you know, and then going through, because I think people do that all the time and then they want to impress their friends. Cause I, I've done this many times. 
I don't really like that, but my friend likes it, so I'm going to like it. And then I end up loving it. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, that's that's why you have friends. You've got to – and I, I, when I, I mentor a lot of writers these days, and I'm like, okay, what's your input? And they're like, well, I love Hickman's X-Men, and I love Fraction's Hawkeye. I'm like, what's your input that's not other comic books? Like the thing people miss is you've got to have – you got to have a, a wide range of experiences feeding into making stuff. Yeah. Or you're just going to spit out copies of stuff that you liked. Right. You know, my worst comics are when I tried to do comics, I admired my best comics are when I go, no one has ever done a book of essays about getting naked all over the world. I'm right. going to do that. Very Sedaris of you. So, yes. Yes, absolutely. Well, I do like David Sedaris. I love Spalding gray. Yeah. I like reading essays. So, you know, people who read comics, not a lot of them are into essays. So can I bring essays to comics? You betcha. More of them should more, be. You know, sorry? I said more of them should be into essays. They should, but it's, you know, I was going to say Alan Moore's genius is not that he's the best comics writer ever. He might be, arguably. Right. But his genius is the stuff he brought in. You know, it's like if you actually know what his influences are, you go, oh, he's not that original. But he is original because he's going, the stuff I like is not in comics, and I'm bringing it into comics. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Baymax and Big Hero 6 came from me watching drum and bugle corps shows and going, I love drum and bugle corps shows. How do I turn that into characters at Marvel? That's where Big Hero 6 comes from. That's why they didn't fit in with the rest of the Marvel Universe when we made them. That's why they weren't initially popular, because they didn't fit in. Right. But that's why they have a life, is because they're unique, because they didn't fit in. How that That movie, Big Hero 6, was fantastic. And we had... Uh, you guys did an audio book of it as well. <clears throat> and we had McLeod Andrews, the guy that actually did the narration on it. And he, nice. he's awesome. I don't know if, if you've ever had a chance to sit down and listen to it, but it's, it's, it's actually quite amazing. Uh, what has Big Hero 6 meant to the man of action as a whole? Well, the, you know, the weird thing about that is we made it up and we were working for Marvel yeah. and we were doing the Spider-Man cartoon. And at the time, all the Spider-Man rights were tied up in a way that Marvel couldn't use the villains, even though they could use Spider-Man. That's so weird. So the writer's room was this constant, like, we'd be like, uh, can we use Mysterio? Nope. Spider-Man villain. We're like, okay, well, can we use the leader? Oh, no, the Hulk villains, we also can't use those. And it just got to be laughable at how many things were off the table. Right. And um, we're like, well, he's got to fight somebody. And one day, jokingly, uh, Duncan, who worked on me with, on Alpha Flight when we made up the Big Hero 6 characters. Yeah. Jokingly, he goes, can we use Big Hero 6? Which to us was the most forgotten, no one will remember them characters ever. And the room just went deathly silent. And uh, Joe Casada was there and Jeff Loeb was there. And Loeb was like, what do you know about Big Hero 6? Which was an odd thing to say. And I said, well, what I know is Not we much. created them. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, we created them. What do you know about them? And he goes, meet me in the hallway. So we went out in the hallway and he's like, you know about the movie, don't you? And we're like, we do now. What movie? <laughs> so from there, you know, it, it, it's a big corporation that had been bought by Disney. Yeah. Uh, no hard feelings. They didn't know. They just didn't know that was us. Uh, and when they did, suddenly everything, you know, we, we obviously had some business to talk, which we talked and that all got worked out favorably. But then they brought us in, Don Hall, the director, brought us in, showed us where they were with things, and we showed him the original art of the characters, and it was freaky how much it lined up with what they were doing, and that's cool. uh, and it was good. But we didn't we didn't make the movie, we just created the characters. I'm the guy who named Baymax Baymax. He's named after a Japanese drum and bugle corps, which even Disney didn't know. Oh, that is cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that at all. Origin story. <laughs> so Camp Midnight, you have the second one out this year, correct? It is out uh, and about. 
Camp Midnight is, you know, I just, I, I think the entire world is amazed by Raina Telgemeier and her ability to just own comic book publishing. She is the, the top selling person of the decade because she was just doing her own thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and I, of course, now do a lot of kids stuff, but my comic books are kind of R plus rated affairs usually. And if they're not that, then they're so kind of, uh, I don't want to say intellectual. They're, they're intellectual in terms of their form. They're sometimes hard to get your brain wrapped around. Right. And I just had a lot of parents going, what can my kid read of your stuff? And I'd be like, nothing really. So I decided to make some books for kids and I decided I'd make those books with a girl lead character in mind. Uh, just cause we have a lot of female fans and I was like, they're underserved. Let's make some stuff. Yeah. Uh, so camp is about a 10 year old girl who she may be actually 12. She goes off to camp, uh, but she gets on the wrong bus and winds up the only human kid at a camp for monster kids. Oh. And then she's got to figure out, do I out myself as a human, which could be dangerous? Do I pretend to be a monster, which is then inauthentic? And so the first book is about her push and pull about that. Uh, and I thought, as I usually do, I just do kind of one book and then move on to the next unrelated thing. Uh, but people really liked the first one. It was the free comic book day. It did really well. It had a scholastic pickup. And so we said, all right, let's do more. So the second one. She goes to the camp she was supposed to go to the first year, and it's about how much sequels suck uh, and how much you like what you didn't have, uh, what you did have when you find out that it's, you know, what you wanted is not what you really wanted. Oh, that's awesome. Writing a sequel with how much sequel sucks is genius, and it kind of <laughs> it, 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 it's not well, a so. – well, it's just hilarious, you know, and it reminds me of the writing – of something like, uh, oh, what's his name? T- Tom Robbins would have done. You ever, you ever read him? Little bits. I used to coach a college speech team, so I've read, I've read a bunch of everything. But uh, like ask still me like Woodpecker and stuff like that. It just seems like something. Yes. Not that he would do that exactly, but it's just in the vein of the way he writes. It's just kind of, I, yeah. I, I love that. I, I want to go out. Where, where can we pick up Camp Midnight and Camp Midnight Volume Volume Two? Uh, Camp Midnight Volume 2 is Camp Midnight versus Camp Daybright. Uh, certainly finer comic shops across the, this country we, we try to love uh, would have it. Amazon.com has got it. Uh, it's an image comics book, so it's not that hard to track down. Oh, perfect. Uh, Jason Katzenstein, who's a New Yorker cartoonist, drew both of them. And he's he's brilliant. He is just a wonder king. He's one of those super young, super talented i.e. I hate him kind of people. Right. Because uh, I was I was not that talented when I was that young. But he's so good at expressive expressive drawing. Uh, and so the character is very meta. She, like she'll say things to the camera, she'll she'll comment on the fact that she's in a comic book at times. So this idea of doing a sequel about how much sequels suck fit right in for her because she's she's sometimes she crawls outside the panel borders and looks in on the panel and goes, Who would ever say something like that? Um, <laughs> I so, love the concept. I can't just seems, this. Yeah, it just seems like we could go meta with the sequel and that would help it. And then thematically, it is about, it's about like she goes in the first camp, she has no friends. And by the end of the summer, she's got friends. She has a place. She belongs. Spoiler. Uh, but in the second book, when she goes where she in quotation marks belongs, she's starting over and she has nothing. Uh, and it's, you know, it's really about this idea that the second time you do something, you're supposed to be better. You're supposed to advance. You're supposed to be a year older. You're yeah. wiser. But it's it's not that way. Like even in, in our lives, you get a new job and you're like, oh, my God, I'm dumb again. Oh, crap. I don't know anything again. I do that uh, all so the time. I just want to talk about that. <laughs> Why am I here? How am I doing this? <laughs> do you really believe that I can do this? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is like your 189,000th podcast, so you're you're doing okay. 
Dude, we're doing something something right. And it's, you know, this last year we've exploded, you know, and and the people that we're we getting. Said, Doctor, look at that. They can probably treat it. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's awesome. You don't happen to live around the corner from me, do you? No, I'm. we're in Seattle. Yeah. Oh, crap. Yeah. I wish I lived around the corner from you then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come on up. We got an extra I like room. it up there. It's a good place. Yeah. Seattle's not bad. It's It's getting super expensive. Like crazy. It is, which is which is odd given that giant earthquake fault they discovered about four years ago. Does that make you nervous? No. I mean, they've been talking about the big earthquake here since 1978. <laughs> right. So, you know. I know. I lived I lived here in L.A. in 1972 when we had the – I've been here actually for all the big earthquakes in recent memory. But um, I, I moved away and then I moved back just in time for an earthquake. Perfect. But it was the same thing. Yeah. My, my entire life in California has been the big one's coming. And it is. It's But, you know. My uh, global time win. My dad grew up in Newport Beach, so we were there every almost once a summer and every Christmas for years. Never hit an earthquake though. Got lucky. That's good. We had we had a little five something a couple of weeks ago. We were like, oh, we were in this restaurant. Everybody was eating, and it was in an old building with brick walls. Yeah, you know, and it's it's California, so the, the earthquake starts, and all the light fixtures start swinging, and your plates are rattling. Everybody just keeps eating. And then there's a moment where it doesn't stop. So everybody just quietly stands up, looks at the door, goes out into the street. Like, not a word. Just like, oh, this is a long earthquake. We shouldn't be in an old brick building. And we just sit out on the street and watch the street lights sway back and forth. And we're like, oh, those are made out of steel and they're moving. This is a big earthquake. Right. And then it stopped. And everybody went back inside and sat down and just started eating. And I was like, this is so damn California. We had... <laughs> We had a big earthquake in 2000, 2001. Yeah. Yeah. 2000, 2001. It was pretty big. I mean, it made like some of the, uh, a lot of the brick, old brick buildings in downtown Seattle had to be, uh, some of them were actually demolished and other ones had to have Red major tech. repair. And I remember I didn't know the earthquake was happening. And I mean, this is night 2000. So it's 20 years ago, right? Basically. And I'm in this little 1991 Ford Escort that my sister had given me. And it was a, it was a real, it was a real POS. And I'm driving down the road and all of a sudden it felt like I had a flat tire. And I was like, what is going on? And I pull over. And when I pull over, the earthquake stops and I get out of my car <laughs> and I walk all the way on the car and I, I don't have a flat tire. And I get back in the car, and it feels fine. Well, then an aftershock happens, and it feels like I have a flat tire. I pull over. <laughs> the aftershock stops. I get out. What is going on? And I'm freaking out. And I get back in the car. I turn on the radio, and they're like, there's a big earthquake happening right now. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Had no clue. That is awesome. I don't have many earthquake fears because uh, I've been through so many of them. The Northridge quake threw me out of my bed and rolled me across the floor. Like that's him getting naked. Cause one of the times I got naked was having to go outside naked during the Northridge quake. Cause right. I had to decide if my two story apartment building was going to collapse on me or if I could make it out to the street. <laughs> right. And my analysis was if I don't have any clothes, I can make it out to the street. So that's what I did. Uh, but even so I do have one earthquake fear, which is that a, an overpass will drop down on my car. So I'm pretty rational most of the time, but if I'm driving in LA and I get a red light and I have to stop under a freeway overpass. I just, I either don't do it yeah. or I'm like cringing until I get out from under there. Nice. So <laughs> let this podcast, the first time I've said that anywhere, if I die by having an overpass drop on me, I knew it. <laughs> called it. I called it. 
<laughs> Got hey, that one right. You going to be at Emerald City Comic Con? We love that con. I love that they have a separate comic convention within the comic convention that's all comics. Yeah. Um, but we're not there this year. We tend to go like every two, every three years. Oh, that's too bad. Are you? Do you guys do SDCC every year? We don't do it anymore. Uh, huh? We did it for, I think, 17 years straight. Isn't that the uh, con that gave you guys your business? Say that one more time. Isn't, isn't, isn't that the con that gave you guys your business? It is, and we felt bad about it, but the, the truth is we can only, at most, swing four cons a year. Yeah. And while I love the San Diego con, I mostly see people I already know there. Yeah. Uh, and I see people, not only people I already know, but people I know and see in L.A. all the time. Uh, and so if I'm going to get out only a few times a year for a con, I want to go places where I haven't seen people yet. So we're on that path. We're always trying nice. to get new shows to go, hey, we haven't had you guys, and we'll show up there. And that's kind of our that's cool. our MO at the moment. Yeah, when we first started doing this podcast, Johnny like wanted to hit every single con imaginable. And I'm at most can do one, two, maybe at the most a year. And then I'm just burnt. Yeah. I just can't do it. And he's this guy, man. He'll he's got five kids, and he'll take all five of his kids and hit every single day. I well, I don't I don't hit the kids every day. I hit the kids like one day. Then when the wife and I go the other days, <laughs> he takes them on the he takes them on the days the con isn't there. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I can't yeah, do every I like, day. Um, it, especially at San Diego Con, like there was a year because we we're exhibitors when we were doing it, and there I love that they keep trying to change it to make it fair and make it work, but. There was a couple of years in a row where one year we got our booth and then we couldn't get a hotel room, but we could get a parking place. The next year we got the hotel room. We couldn't get a parking place. We couldn't get the booth. Then we got the booth and the parking place and no hotel. You know, it's just like, this is getting too hard. (laughs) If I'm going to go, it's going to cost me a fortune. I need to be able to get a parking place, a hotel room and a table. I I honestly, I get frustrated paying to go into a mall. And that's what it feels like. I'm walking into a mall to spend more money. Just you know what I mean. And they're paying me at the door. They're yeah. making me pay at the door. Like I'm getting a cover charge to go to the mall. <laughs> I hear you. I mean, for us, it's it is what you said. It's a business thing. But our yeah, we don't do any business there. We we after the first you know three jobs we got there, I don't think we've ever gotten another job at Comic Con. It's a way to meet fans. It's a way to go. Hey, we still do comics. Yeah. You know, if you liked House of Secrets or Sam at Mystery Theater or my X Men run. Read Get Naked. It has nothing to do with those. Read Camp Midnight. It's for kids, but you might still like it. You'll love because it. People nothing don't to do know with it. Still do comics. <laughs> if you love X Men. Read Get Naked. It has nothing to do with it. I love it. <laughs> but, well, uh, yeah. I mean, I got to get that word out somehow, and cons is a good way to do that. Yeah. No, it's good. I, I, I'm I'm telling everybody to read Get Naked because I am like legit laughing out loud as I'm watching because the truth is so funny, you know. And the fact that the, the feelings <laughs> that so. you are expressing is all the ones I have. Like I've struggled with my weight my whole life. So getting naked in front of everybody is always like they're looking at my gut. They're looking at my man boobs. What what am I you know oh, what I mean? Same every time. Yeah. So I don't want to, you know, and you're like expressing I mean, you're not saying no things that I'm saying, but the emotion is all the same. The sentiment's the same in it. All yeah. got those things. Yeah. All got them. I, I take like literally anybody who comes to LA, I'm like Let's go to the Korean spot because we have a big one here now. And they're like, wait, what? I have to get naked? I'm like, do it. You're going to be naked for three minutes and you're going to freak out. And then for the rest of your life, you're not going to care anymore. And that's it is I've taken hundreds of people. And that's the story for like all of them except one would go back. And the one who didn't want to go back is just a total germaphobe and was like, ah, public water, which I get. (laughs) 
but it is very clean. Um, but it's, but that's the thing. It's like you go, you spend, I, I was skinny, so I was really brutally picked upon as a kid, but whatever, right. weren't we all? Right. Yeah. Uh, yep. and I was just like, there's no way I can take my clothes. I'm too skinny. It's going to be people make fun of me. And then you do and you go, Oh, this is my fucking body. This is what I got. Uh, and it's not going to change and people aren't making a big deal about it. They don't care as much as I care. And then you're done. And it's nice to be done with that. Yep. Yep. Yeah, once you kind of realize that no one really cares, then, you know, I mean, kids in junior high can be mean, but you get after you get out of there and then it's like nobody cares about any of that stuff anymore. They can, but, you know, just to get back to what we talked about at the beginning. The I, I found a Life magazine article and it was, you know, it's about the American high school and they have a picture of all these naked dudes in a pool. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, what, what <laughs> high school is this exactly? And it's just like Akron, Ohio or somewhere. I don't remember what it was, but you know, then I started researching it. I'm like, wait, did this happen? And I do think that at the time when kids are cruelest, you know, if, if you were forced to do that, if you had to swim naked every day around your peers, yeah, you'd still get over it. Like there would be that moment where you get over it yep. and then you wouldn't be plagued by that heading into your, sexual awakening and your you know married life and your whatever you're going to do i think the sooner you get over that the better yeah Uh, and when i travel like to there's an essay in the book about denmark and in denmark you know there are rules before you can swim i swim every day because i have a heart condition i have to have to swim every day yeah uh that's all a whole nother story we'll keep doing it if you need to do it they have these posters i'm going to do it right now they have these (laughs) posters up and it's like you must take your clothes off you must wash your hair and your crotch and your butt and your armpits before you put on your swimsuit and get in the pool. And so everybody in Denmark does that. Yeah. No matter what their age is, they're three, they're seven, they're 12, they're 15, they're 25. They're, you know, they just do that. So it's never been a thing for them. Or if it is, it doesn't seem to be like, I didn't interview them all, but they're just like, this is how this works. No big deal. Yeah. And I feel like they're way better adjusted. There's like a lot less posturing there's a lot less oh my dick is bigger than i don't hear that when i'm there right. i also don't speak danish so maybe right. it's happening <laughs> in a different language um, but it, it's just it seems like they're they don't have to do that part and that might not be a bad thing yeah that sounds actually much better hey um uh, how cathartic was it's a bird it's a bird was super cathartic and a little bit scary uh, yeah. people don't know it was, it's a vertigo book about how much i don't like superman that I convinced DC comics to publish, which seems a bit <laughs> weird, but, uh, but it, it, my, have a, my family has a history of Huntington's disease, which is kind of like Parkinson's, but a little worse if there is, if, if it's not a terrible thing to say that right. it, it's the same kind of degenerative nerve disease, but it locks you into your body and you get uncommunicative, even though you don't die. So it's like a really mm. prolonged living death. Yeah. Uh, that my grandmother died of my aunt died of, and I, it's uh, when I was coming up, they didn't know much about it. So it was really a shameful thing. Like don't tell anybody you have Huntington's in your family. They'll never want to marry you. Don't tell anybody you have Huntington's in your family. You'll never get a job. Like a lot of that was going on. Right. Uh, not just in my family. I've talked to a bunch of other people and, and that's, that was its thing. So I was like, it, it was chewing me up and I was like, I have to do something with this thing. I'm not supposed to talk about. Uh, and it turned out that working with Teddy Christensen, who did win an Eisner for that book. And I did not. Uh, even though it was nominated, hey, there you go. Uh, he, uh, I actually accepted Teddy's Eisner at the Eisners, and somebody from DC ripped it out of my hands before I could even sit down at my table. We'll send that to Teddy. No, oh, I was like, I can't even touch an Eisner. Wow, curse, uh, man. But, oh, man. Uh, but I, I felt like I wanted to just tell a story about why I don't like Superman, which is that yeah. 
you know, genes and powers and things that make you different in comics are great. Like you're, I'm the hero now. Right. But in this world, they're the things that, that really fuck you up and turn your life over. And it just seemed like Superman, the pinnacle of heroes yeah. was the way to talk about feeling like you are the, the bottom rung of humans. Uh, and I still can't quite believe I talked DC into letting that happen. But Paul Levitz read the proposal. And he's like, let's just do this. Even though there was a rule that you could not have DC heroes in vertigo books anymore. I told Karen Berger, I'm like, please just go ask him. And she did. And he did it. Uh, and it's absolutely my favorite thing I've written because it's a book I could give my parents and go, you don't have to feel bad that you had me. Yeah. I'm okay. Uh, it turns out now because of science, I know I will not get Huntington's. Oh, but cool. when I wrote that book, I didn't know that. Right. Uh, so it was a bit, a bit of a way to say to my parents, look, I lived, I'm good with that. If it turns out badly, I'm good with that. Yeah. My, um, my kid's mom, she has dystonia. Uh, oh. And I don't know if you know what that is, but it's a neurological disorder. She has DYT11, yeah, yeah. which is super rare, actually. Uh, she was born with it. And it was an uphill battle to get people to even understand what she was going through. Uh, doctors would think that she was lying for attention, and or they would give her Parkinson's medicine, and they'd get her on Klonopins, like a massive amount of Klonopins, you know? And then uh, she'd go see a new doctor, and they'd be like, "Oh, well, you're taking too much Klonopin, so we're just gonna we're just gonna cold turkey you," you know? Which yeah. That's brutal. Spins you down into this whole depression thing, and then finally she has she has uh, she has Ella, and we and she begs the doctor to run a genetic test because she's worried that Ella could have uh, dystonia, and so to do it, they do her first, and lo and behold, they find DYT eleven the the whole thing, and all of a sudden now the doctors can't talk to her enough, you know. Right. They're just all, oh, my God. And what the doctor that gave that diagnosed her with Parkinson and then at the same time said she was it's all in her head and denied. Uh, she tried to get uh, what's it, you know, um, disability. And the doctor basically wrote this whole thing to the disability office saying that it's all in her head. So they, she got denied and then it was just a big nightmare. Now they can't wait to talk to her because she's just, you know, she's been it's a rare Disease, it's yeah. super rare and then what it does but it's like you know she's got she'll she'll tweak uh she'll, you know she'll twist and, and tweak and and I, the only way i can explain it to somebody else is basically when she's having an episode it's kind of like being shocked all over her body you know yeah and, and the huntington's is that but losing your ability to swallow and speak yeah and not having not having episodes but having continuous writhing well, I'm glad you found out that you're not susceptible to it anymore. So that's that's good. Yeah, I got invited to speak at a national medical Huntington's disease research conference, and they gave them all the book, so they all read the book. That was amazing. Yeah, uh, but I was going to go do readings from the book as my speech, and then they're like, "We all read the book," and I'm like, "Crap!" So I had to <laughs> put together a speech all of a sudden, like an hour keynote overnight. Uh, but that turned out okay, I think. You could have to ask them. But it was interesting to find out just where the research had come from. It's finally gotten some money behind it. There's people working on it. But one of the stories that, that was fascinating to me is that they invented a, a screening, you know, a test so you could find out if you have the gene. And the scientist who created that test didn't want to take it, even though Huntington's ran in her family. And that was the reason she apparently did the research, because there's no treatment. So it's yeah. like, okay, well, now I know. But what does that do for me? So, right. Other, other than deciding maybe to not have kids, which is the crux of it's a bird. Right. Um, 
yeah, it, it's I don't know what the answer is there. Yeah. Different for each person. I, yeah, I guess it's all into the individual, right? Yes. Yeah, that's that's well. I'm I'm glad that you've you you're able to. I'm glad. Actually, that's awesome that you wrote this book and able to help you. It sounds like it helped. Definitely helped me, and it's it's the book that as I go to cons, a, a strange amount of people, not with Huntington, some with Huntington's and their family, yeah. some with other things, come up and go. This book actually said so much about the way I've lived my life and you know my fears and all that. And that that if you make stuff, that's what gets you. Like a kid coming up to me and saying, "I love Ben Ten, amazing." But if a kid comes up to me and says, "That Ben Ten." Where he stood up to that bully, let me stand up to my bully at school. Yeah, that's life shit. Yeah, like that shit rocks your boat. Yeah, I, man, uh, being able to take your art and your creativity and and conquer those fears that that have plagued in the back of your head for so long, that to me is like some of the biggest things. And it's always and it's endearing because you feel that you know you you can feel it coming across when when you're reading it. Or watching. Well, it's it's just a reminder that you've got to do the personal. So, like, I love Frank Miller's Daredevil. Yeah, I always wanted to write Daredevil, oh, but I'm glad I didn't run because what I wanted to write was Frank Miller's Daredevil. Right uh, now, if I ever should go write Daredevil, which seems highly unlikely at this point, I would write Steve Siegel's Daredevil. I would go, what you know, I'm not a blind lawyer in love with the Greek assassin, but what in that is my story? You know, like what injustice. What does justice mean to me? What does blind justice mean to me? What does getting over a disability mean to me? Like, how do I, how do I get into that? How do I tell a story that is extremely personal, but it's daredevil? Oh, That's when you get good stuff. I want Frank s- Miller's daredevil is personal to Frank Miller. That's why it was good, not yeah. because it was daredevil. I want to read a Stephen T. Siegel daredevil. That would be amazing. Well, I'm not. This actually is not me pitching to do that. I definitely I would never do it at this point. <laughs> uh, but I'm just saying, yeah. If you're if you're a writer and you're listening to this, a God help you. This has been a really long one. Uh, but uh, but it's got to be personal. The people I, I work with as writers and mentor, I'm like, you tell me the story only you can tell me. Yeah. Tell me a story about your experience and then put it in the world of whatever this thing you love is. That's when you're making something good. Stephen, I think that's the best thing to end this on some great advice right there that is yeah that is perfect we're about an hour in and i don't want to i don't want to get any more of your no i want you to come back i love talking with you and i'm not even kidding i love talking with you i want you to come back and let's do this all over again and just talk about whatever comes up because you are a hoot and all the stuff that you've well, been doing and all the stuff. I that wish my wife on. were eavesdropping instead of my cat because she doesn't think I'm a hoot usually. But I'll <laughs> tell her when she gets back. We can, we can clip the audio and send it to her if you want. Yeah. <laughs> we have she'll, the ability to think do it's that. a hoax. We, we, ha- <laughs> we have the technology. Right? She'll think it's a hoax. <laughs> <laughs> but, hey, um, thank you so much for coming on. We really, really, really appreciate it. And um, Yes. Yeah, you said it's been an hour. It felt like 12 minutes. So thanks right? so much, guys. Terrific. I, time. I, we could go another hour easy, but I figured let's do this again soon. Yeah. Because we got more stuff to go over, more stuff to cover. I like it. Yeah. So, well, more success to you. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, if people did listen. Go buy Get Naked, but more importantly, leave me or any creator you like reviews on Amazon if you buy it there. There you go. That's the only way we get recommended to other people. I got no reviews. I need some reviews, peeps. You got no reviews on Get Naked? Like seven. Oh, we got to change that. We can add two more tonight. We got to so. yep. change that. We're going to add two more tonight. I appreciate it. And then we'll Jeff. get more. Have a good one, man. You too. Thanks, man.
so now that I'm naked and you're naked after hearing all that, how, how, how do you think that went? Um, I think it went surprisingly well. And I'm wondering, how the hell did you get me out of my clothes? <laughs> it wasn't me. It was Steven. It's all, it was the book and his talking, man. It wasn't me. I didn't do it. <laughs> right? <laughs> or did you? <laughs> I mean, we'll never know. We'll never know. <laughs> all right, guys. I oh. hope you really enjoyed that because I really did. It, I mean, obviously. I did too. <laughs> It was so much fun. Obviously, we're sitting here naked. I mean, come on. <laughs> oh, my God. If you like Stephen T. Siegel and you want to hear more, get out there. Go to our back catalog on scpod.net. Just do a search for Spoiler Country, and you'll get a ton of stuff. And there's so many interviews. You know? So many. And we, got, we have people like Casey T. Allen, the man on the street, doing interviews with the likes of Susan Eisenberg, the voice of Wonder Woman. You have Jeff Big Haas getting us all of these interviews in-house. It's crazy. It's crazy. It is completely nuts, man. It's, we have so much good stuff coming out and that we're doing that. I cannot wait for everyone to see. I know I say it a lot, but man, I, I'm, I'm, I, every day I'm excited about what we're doing. Yeah, I'm legit excited. All right, guys. I think that's a show. That's a show, man. All right. Don't forget to open the mind. And read more. See ya. Yeah, when I said get naked, Kaylee stood up going, what are you talking about? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs>